Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, we it is indeed uh, time for uh, movies and booze. We are joined by box renovator Mick O'Connell, uh, stunned <laughs> at the death of Tony Bennett, Brian Lloyd, and future Bridezilla Fanula Jones. <laughs> <laughs> One for everybody in the audience. There, it should be said. Uh, congratulations, Genius. Fanula. Thank well, you well so done. much. Thank you. Thanks uh, for organising uh, engagement drinks. That's uh, all that's, nice of that's you. That's great. Yeah, we thought we, we thought we would. Yeah, they <laughs> they look kind of the pink one looks kind of engagementy. Well Best done. Uh, well done, Mick. Yes, that's very good. Were you shocked or, or, or? Oh, I nearly died. Yeah, I thought maybe next year. Um, didn't have it on the cards this year. So did he? What did he do? We were down glamping. Actually, uh, my friend's parents run like an Airbnb site down kind of Waterford Tip Borders called Ravens Rock. So we were just in the middle of nowhere. It was pouring rain. No, no one else for miles. It was, it was amazing. It was so nice. I thought he was messing because he frequently fake proposes. Um, oh. And I was about to be like, ha, my mouth was like formed of the H to be like, ha. And then I saw the box and I, I needed one of those jackets they put over runners when they're like at the end and they, they can't move anymore. Like oh I needed, a, I needed a Lucasade, but like intravenous, I think. And then oh. I said, yes. Yeah. And it was great. Okay. Uh, well, God, I wouldn't have asked you the question if I just said no. That would have been really extraordinarily cruel. But I suppose, like, you own property together, so you were in the bag, so to speak. Yeah, anyway, that was more of a commitment. That's, that's more of a commitment no marriage, way yeah. more of a commitment. Yeah. yeah, get out of that house. Yeah, try try doing that. So, do you have a date? Oh God, no! Just no. everybody just asks these questions. Basking, just basking date, in it for venue, now. Um, number of people going. Have you started having arguments yet? About it? Not yet. Imminently, I'd say yeah. next week. Ask me next Friday. Yeah, okay. But don't forget you own property together. So, you know, uh, don't, don't be too ratty with each other. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I suppose everybody knows so much about Barbie and Oppenheimer now. It's kind of hard to... Kind of is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, express an opinion. Which one did you prefer? I loved my cinematic children equally. I loved them <laughs> ah, both equally. Right. Okay. I will say that like Oppenheimer is obviously a much more complex film and I'm teeing it up for the booze part of it here. Yeah, okay. Um, obviously Oppenheimer is a much more complex film. That's not to say that Barbie doesn't have any emotional substance. It definitely does. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I mean Oppenheimer is three hours long and it's a complex psychological study of a man who created the thing that could just potentially destroy the entire world. And then Barbie is a study of, you know, humanity and femininity through the lens of a kid's toy. So yeah. there's difference. It's, it's apples and oranges. Well, no, I mean, both, but, both, but, have a, both, have, both are valid, I okay. think. Okay, but if, if, if there is, um, uh, it's a complex study, a psychological study, that means there must be quiet bits in this film. Which in is Barbie? Very, no, I mean in, in Oppenheimer, which, oh, yeah. which is very unlikely, unlike a Christopher Nolan film. No, I mean, like, it's there are long protracted scenes in this where it's Killian Murphy in a room being badgered by a load of uh, lawyers. Like, the whole kind of framing device for this film is, is uh, it was a security clearance here and that Robert Oppenheimer had in 1954 where it was essentially, they were questioning him about his communist leanings. Like, yeah. The film is very much about his relationship with Gene Tatlock, who was his communist writer back in the 40s. And then how he created Los Alamos and the people that he brought to Los Alamos. And a lot of them had, in the sort of Huac, McCarthyist kind of thing, uh, sort of communist uh, sympathi- sympathies and what have you. So it kind of, it's, it's him trying to account for his life, if you like. And then conversely as well, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Louis Strauss, it's him trying to rationalise why... You know, Oppenheimer was brought into the sort of American industrial military complex in such a profound way, even though 
he was very much had again communist sympathy. Yeah, it's like, a, yeah, it was an odd choice. We did interview mm. the, the chopper wrote his biography. Kai Bird. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it's brilliant, and, isn't it? And uh, um, yeah, it was a very odd choice on the face of it. Especially seemed he like. <laughs> Seemed a bit of a flaky character anyway, like yeah. in terms of like running. Uh, a yeah, thing. totally. Like, but uh, I mean, he was the right man for the job in the sense of like he was the great thinker of the age. Like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a great story as well about what they did with all that, uh, which, uh, sorry, Ash, I meant to say this to you. Uh, the quick production meeting there. Uh, there's a great story about what happened to the people who lived around Los, Los Alamos after the tests. Oh, yeah. They basically kicked them off all their land. Yeah. Uh, even though they owned the land. Just turned out they were all Hispanic people, so they didn't matter. Yeah, uh, the, the the same old story. Uh, right, okay, Robert uh, and Robert Downey Jr. Is he very Robert Downey Jr.ish, or is he actually acting? Oh, that's good to He's hear. He's really, really acting. He yeah. can actually act. Like his muscles didn't atrophy from playing Iron Man for the last yeah. ten years. He's really, really. I would not be surprised, in fact, if he got nominated for an Oscar out of this. Okay, and okay. Killian Murphy as well, for that matter. Oh no, I, I kind of expect that. Yeah, from yeah, Killian yeah. Murphy. Uh, yeah. uh, to be honest with you, uh, right? So d- you, you have kind of movie-related. Uh, We've wines gone for an make? extremely tenuous link of a pink wine. That's the spirit. Lightly linked to Barbie and uh, complex red, lightly linked to a handsome man from Cork. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a physicist. Right. Okay. Uh, that is uh, that is very, the second one's very tenuous. I thought you were going to go for it. It explodes in your mouth or something like that. Uh, right. So uh, are any movies being made at the moment, Fanula? Because everyone's on strike. A lot of them are at standstill and we could be uh, facing some delays for some of the most hyped ones. Uh, June 2 is kind of the rumour at the minute. I think Warner Brothers is strongly considering it. So it's due out November 3rd. Uh, Timothy Chalamet and Dea very, very highly anticipated. Um, but apparently, yeah, there are a lot of discussions at the minute that that might be pushed out. Um, other Warner Brothers uh, productions that are potentially going to be pushed out as well. We have The Colour Purple, the musical movie adaptation. That's throughout oh, yeah. Christmas this year. Um, but that's potentially being pushed out. Oprah Winfrey's producing on that. Um, and then also the Aquaman uh, sequel, Aquaman and the Last Kingdom, is also potentially going to be pushed out. Um, yeah, pretty much everything is ground to a halt, but some select productions of like select permission uh, by the guild to film without crossing any picket lines. I was looking at a couple, not a lot of the names jumped out to me, but we have like The Watchers, which is a movie about a girl who is stalked by mysterious creatures in a forest in Ireland. Starring Dakota Fanning. We love okay. that connection. Uh, Rivals of Amziah King, which is a true crime thriller starring Matthew McConaughey. Uh, and then we also have House of the Dragon is continuing filming its second season uh, because the cast is composed primarily of UK actors and they're working under contracts governed by their local union equities. So they don't fall right. under okay. the, yeah, that's the SAG, uh, SAG yeah. union. So yeah. but like when, you see, when you're seeing some of the dates or some of the other things, I think Euphoria now is pushed out to like 2026 or something insane for a show that's supposed to be about high schoolers going into college students. They're all going to be about 45. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? And like, I think we've said this about Stranger Things that like, when is Stranger Things going to come out? Like, you know, they're going to be so far aged out. Like, it's... Yeah, they'll know. probably just call it groovy dads or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and, uh, um, re- yeah. So will there be kind of... Will we hit a point where certainly from uh, Hollywood productions or American productions, there's just going to be a gap? I think so, sure. Oh, was it like that with the, the last writer strike and that's why there was so much reality TV yeah. pumped out in that time? That's it, yeah. Literally like Below Deck and like all the real housewives of wherever kind yeah. of came out of the 2008 strike. I mean, this hasn't happened. The double strike hasn't happened since 1960. It's And it's never lasted. I mean, that time I think it only lasted for like a week or something like mm. that. So it didn't really impact production. 
I would not be surprised if the likes of Euphoria and Stranger Things were just cancelled outright because that's what happened the last time there was a writer strike in 2008. A lot of TV shows that were kind of teetering on being cancelled were just cancelled. And a lot of shows that weren't doing well, they were like, well, you know, the writer strike is the reason we're cancelling that, not mm. the fact that it had terrible ratings and nobody liked it and nobody watched it. Um, like the likes of Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom. It would not <laughs> surprise me if they set the uh, reel on fire and just claimed the insurance on it yes. like they did for Batgirl, which was yeah. another film that was effectively yes, completed yeah. and then just uh, closed up as a result. Yeah. Sure, who is looking forward to Aquaman? Yeah, yeah. in who fairness. Is, who like, among us is like, I cannot wait to see the next Man Under the Sea movie, you know, like no one. Yeah. And like, like Dune yeah, 2 is no different. One. Yeah, no. Dune 2, like there is like a real genuine, like there is a lot of people that want to see it, like, and it does have a lot of cultural penetration, whereas something like Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, no one's re- like if that was never released. I mean, The Flash was such a massive bomb for Warner Brothers. They're probably thinking we might actually be safer just, you know, setting just this let thing, it go. just letting yeah. it go. Like. Letting them go. Well, then there will be a serious gap. I mean, oh, yeah. like they, but they can that's write these things. Thing, though. They that, can write these things off and get claims up for some of the insurance. Yeah. Plans, that's so. it. Like, I mean, that's what they did with Batgirl, and like, you know, already like Disney have taken like certain films off of uh, Disney Plus so that they don't have to pay residuals anymore and stuff like that. And to be honest, as a consumer, I think it's actually okay that they're kind of breaking these things up a little bit and spreading them all out, like because it's reached a stage now where. A lot of people are either thinking, oh, I'll just wait for that to come out onto a stream. And, or it's like, if they go to see it in the cinema, chances are it's gone from the cinemas already. Like yeah. You see something like Asteroid City, which was only in cinemas three, four weeks ago. Yeah. Now that's on uh, premium video on demand, which essentially means you can go pirate it. So what's can the you? point? Yes. <laughs> I've been. Don't told. tell me now. Uh, uh, <laughs> do you know a, what I mean? Like, you're in it, enough trouble as it is. Don't tell me now. But uh, I'm saying, like, when it goes under premium video on demand, that means it's effectively it's pirated. Like, yeah. So, and that happened in the space of a month. Crikey! Yeah, yeah. that is. Uh, 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 what about uh, Wicked? I know production has been halted uh, for this two-part movie. Is there any chance they might be able to release the first part on time? Feels like this movie has been in production forever. I had Anyone heard know? Wicked had finished before the strike, but I could be wrong on that. Um, well, actually, sorry, Ariana Grande was like, she, just she was lashing Wimbledon. around Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So actually, maybe they didn't get it finished. Probably Not sure reshoots. on that. Yeah. 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 And that'll probably mean then that whatever they've got, they've just got to make the Work best with of it. it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my daughter and her friends are at the Oppenheimer film today, but wearing pink to celebrate the Barbie <laughs> movie. As indeed, Fanula. Is that what, is this Barbie? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I saw it this weekend. Huge fan. Big fan. Yeah. Liked it quite a lot. Yeah. Okay, what, uh, we'll uh, move on to our first glass of wine, which I, I, I assume, you know, Brian shouldn't have one. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, I, should, I should inform you, Brian, that, that we do have a, a, a dump button here. So we're yeah, in a five second you. delay. So uh, that stream of defamatory comments you made about uh, your employers didn't go out on air. Uh, but you will have to explain it to entertainment.ie when you get back to the office. Uh, anyway, what uh, wine should we have first, Mick? So we'll do, we'll do the pink first. We'll do the rosé. It, it, it's warm out despite it being like crappy, crappy weather. Oh, yeah. It still is muggy. Rosé season's still definitely in, um, in full swing. This is also like very loosely linked again with the tenuous vibe to um, the Screen Actors Guild strike. In that it's red. 
Well, Chateau Miraval, <laughs> pinkish. <laughs> Chateau Miraval, um, the famous uh, rosé from Provence, which was the Brangelina, Brad Pitt, Angelina oh, yes. Jolie rosé. Yeah. Um, the makers of that are these guys. So this is the, the ah. family Perrin. So family Perrin owned Chateau Miraval alongside Brangelina. Um, and they were the guys who actually made the wine. So the, they, they were the ones that... Yeah. And, and Miraval is a good rosé. I mean, they've done a really good job. That's with very it. nice, yeah. So this particular one, it's not from Provence, which is right, like, kind of the area around Nice, down the back, uh, down the bottom of France. This is more the Rhone Valley. So kind of if you were to draw a straight line up from Marseille, about an hour and a half, two hours drive up from there. But this is the south of um, south of Rhone, which is where um, the Perron family are based. They're famous for making Chateauneuf de Pape, and they make one of the most famous Chateauneuf de Pape, which is Chateau Beaucastel. Very, very collectible wine. Mm. And this is this is a kind of entry level rosé, very pale in colour, so definitely targeting that Provence market. So pale colour, light, crisp. You can glug lots of it. Yeah, what would be the AB? And it's, it's usually less on a rosé anyway. Tends to be. So this yeah. is 12.5%. You, oh, you, that's strong usually, for rosé. Usually with rosé, they're trying to, they, they try to pick the grapes a little bit earlier to maintain the freshness. Mm. So you get this trade-off with um, picking dates, where if you leave the grapes on the vine longer, you get more sugar, more sugar turns into more booze. But the trade-off is you lose acid. So you go up in booze, down in acid. Acid isn't a very sexy wine word, but it is a really important thing when it comes to the balance on your palate. It's the thing that makes wine or any drink or food refreshing. So yeah. we, we, we like acidity in wines. We, probably, yeah. we just say crisp and refreshing yes, instead of acid. Acidity. Yeah, well, acid sounds it also a horrible. We don't want know, to reach for the Gaviscon, you know? Yeah. I was in, oh, I was in uh, France last weekend uh, um, and... and at a gig that was outdoors and they sell like big jugs of rosé and it was lovely. Have you ever done the trip to the winery where they have, and, and it'll be loads of co-ops in France and Italy and Spain, where they have what looks like a petrol nozzle and you literally bring along a bucket <laughs> yeah. and you use the petrol in, nozzle. In like in every village and, they and have one of them. Yeah. What? That is just fantastic. Is it like yeah. a Homer Simpson thing? Like one for you, one for yeah, me? Literally yeah. like that. Amazing. So it is like you fill your p- petrol container full of Delicious local rosé. You take it home, you get smashed, you go do the same thing the following day. Yeah. And it's a short walk uh, back there. <laughs> right. Uh, we are uh, going to take a commercial break, but uh, uh, what movie would you like to talk about first, Brian? Uh, Oppenheimer, I guess. Okay, Oppenheimer, coming up after this break. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. We're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means. If the Nazis have a bomb. We have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. Build a town, build it fast. If we don't let scientists bring their families, we'll never get the best. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the world? 
All right, that's uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, Texter says, I read an article about how many 30 cinemas in the world are showing Oppenheimer in the aspect ratio that Christopher Nolan intended. The article's headline was Croppenheimer, which is now my, my top five puns of all time. That's pretty so, good. Uh, have you, what kind of aspect ratio did, has it been shown to be? I saw it in 70mm in the IFI, which is the only cinema in the entire nation of Ireland that has a 70mm projector, and it was fantastic. Right, it is okay. so good seeing it in a big, huge screen. And you need to see it in a big, huge screen. You do need that kind of massive soundscape blasting you away like you know that kind of way mm. which is a thing that Christopher Nolan's films have like you look at Interstellar or you look at Inception or you look at any of the Batman films they are made for a cinema they are made for that experience they are made to be wrapped in this wall of sound and that's really what Oppenheimer has is is that it's very much you're locked into his brain from the very opening scene of it like you see him going through like 20s Europe and you know taking in like cubism, taking in like the kind of the bohemian lifestyle and he's meeting all these like great thinkers like, you know, Einstein and Enrique Fermi and all these people and he's learning so much. But as he's learning, he realises that he's on the cusp of finding something that could potentially change the course of history. And then when World War II starts, he's recruited straight away into the army because they're like, we need to develop a weapon that can potentially be used against Nazi Germany. Of course, Oppenheimer was Jewish Mm. and he knew full well that if Nazi Germany had the capability to wipe out mass races of people with one stroke, they'd do it. So he then believes that this isn't just, uh, you know, this isn't just a science experiment as such. This is, we need to have this because if they have it, they're going to use it. So we need to use it first. But then, of course, as we know, you know, uh, Nazi Germany capitulated, but then they ended up using it on Japan. Mm. And what I loved about Oppenheimer was, was that it really does make you feel the weight of history. You really do see Killian Murphy's brain literally come out of his ears trying to figure out how he's going to do this and as well how he's going to live with himself afterwards. Mm. And it's not even guaranteed that he is going to live with himself afterwards. Like you really do see, because it jumps forward in timelines, which all Nolan films do, when it jumps forward to 1954, after the bomb has been used, you can really see like he looks gaunt and his hair is grey and his really big dark uh, bags under his eyes and everything like that. You can feel the weight of history on him. And yeah, and it's just like, it is so complex in parts, but not so complex that you can't follow it. Like you do have an understanding of where everything kind of places in the story. And if you are confused at certain points, it's intentional. Like you do get, there's one scene in it where um, it cuts through like three different meetings and then a recollection. And Matt Damon's character literally says, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. This is all really confusing to kind of let the audience (laughs) in on the joke as well, you know. But Again, it follows the line for three hours. Like you really do kind of capture every aspect of the story. Like it does have that complexity. Yeah. And so where does it start with Oppenheimer? I assume this is when he's traveling around Europe is when we first yeah. see him. And, and and it ends in the 50s. It when? ends like in the 50s. Yeah. Where he's like trying to kind of, I guess, uh, account for his life and account for the, the, the decisions that he made. And then it jumps forward to like the 60s where, you know, he's an elderly man and he's meeting the president and they're all receiving their, like, presidential medal, I think it was. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it literally captures everything. Like, I would put this in the same bracket as something like Lawrence of Arabia or Gandhi or Amadeus or Malcolm X, like, where you're seeing 
it's not just one little scene in their life, mm. it's their entire life. Like, So you do need the three hours to kind of capture all of it. And given, like those other films, we know what happens, there's yeah. no big reveal. Yeah. What was Nolan's intention? I guess to kind of, you know, what does it, what does it feel like to stand on an inflection point in history mm. and actually cause the inflection? What does that do to a person? You know, are they consumed by hubris? Do they recognise what they're doing? Do they actually see what they're doing? Have they worked it out in their head? And that is something that really this film does. It really makes you feel everything that that Oppenheimer feels. And I don't think any other actor could do it bar Killian Murphy because he does have that. Like, obviously, he's got the big, massive eyes mm. and you can see everything in them. You can see literally into the depths of his soul. But also, as well, is, is that he has the intelligence to display... You know, fear, hubris, um, lust. You know, there's like it's very sexually explicit in certain parts of this, like which is not something you would expect from a Christopher Nolan because he's always kind of seen as a bit of a cold fish. Not so in this, like, um, quite horny in parts. Um, sorry, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it is. It really is. Like, God, I don't have to just apologise to children. If there's any adults in this yeah. I'm sorry. Like, you see it all. Like, there's there's one scene in it that's really like, wow, that's a very avant-garde way of doing a sex scene. Right. Okay. And, and is this with his wife? Because I thought he had a terrible relationship with his wife. Yeah, he did. But like, it's all about the affair he had with Jean Tatlock, who's played right. by Florence Pugh. Okay. And that is, if I was to deduct uh, half a star, if you like, from this film, it's how Christopher Nolan writes women. He can't write women. Yeah. Like, you look at Inception and, you know, it's they're not there. Yeah, they're there to be rescued, actually. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's the same with The Prestige as well. Like, it's Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall. And it's like, oh, we're so sad. It's the same in this. Mm. Like, the women are just completely sidelined. Or if they are used, they're used literally just as a prop. Now... That may be intentional in the sense of, you know, Oppenheimer was a womanizer and he did frequently just, you know, toss women aside when he was done with them. Yeah. So that might have been intentional. I don't know if it was, though. I feel like it was just Nolan couldn't wrap his head around the idea of women with agency or women that actually had something to contribute, like, mm. you know. But, I mean, that's that's a complaint, but it shouldn't detract you from seeing this film. It is an incredible film. It is a massive achievement. It is going to sweep the Oscars. I will put money on that here and now. It will sweep at the Oscars. Uh, because for such a significant set of events in world history that still has ramifications today, it needs to be a Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, it really. does, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no way. Like, I mean, there was a film in the 90s uh, with Paul Newman and um, Murdoch from A-Team. A- he played Oppenheimer. Dwight Schultz. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, really. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Man, yeah. It was okay. called. It was called Fat Man and Little Boy, and it was terrible. Oh, with the names of the bombs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But Paul Newman was good, and he was the best thing in it. Um, so yeah, so it, there does need to be a kind of a record, if you like, of this moment in history. And as you say, we, I feel like we are now standing in a, at an inflection point in history as well. And I yeah. think it's important to kind of look around and recognize that we're in it just as much as they were in it. Yeah. There That's a, yeah. Okay, that's extraordinary. Yeah, uh, it's really worth seeing. Uh, that, that, that's extraordinary. But how many cinemas are, uh, yeah, well, you say, I have five It's only one. It's, it's only one is seen it. Everyone else is going to be the bog standard stuff. Don't let that, but don't let that stop you. Yeah. Still go see it. I yeah. mean, go see it in the biggest cinema you can find. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you can make the trip up to the IFI, definitely it's worth seeing it in that. 
but go see it in the cinema. Don't the wait cinema. for this in. Um, uh, don't wait for this on telly. Like yes, that. watching it on your yeah laptop probably isn't a great idea. Now, obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Barbie later on, and it's it's kind of relevant in a way, given that all the feckin' Marvel movies we're doing. This Barbie movie is the start of something similar, isn't it? There's going to be like a Mattel. Universe. Cinematic Universe, yeah. The MCU is going to be the Mattel Cinematic Universe now. Brian is <laughs> shaking his head in despair. Head in his hands. But there's loads. I didn't realise. So, like, there's going to be a Hot Wheels movie that I think J.J. Abrams is somehow involved in. Not really sure what they're going to do there. Um, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, which I think Vin Diesel is involved in that. Uh, we have the Surrealist Barney movie that's going to be, like, A24 style with Daniel Kaluuya, which I have such what's, strong concerns about. What's A24 mean? They're like an independent production. They're an indie, they're an indie like, art house. Right, production. okay. They do what like movies Euphoria. do they do? With Barney. Yeah, but they yeah. did like um, Get Out and they did Get like Out, yeah. Hereditary and they did um, Bo is Afraid. They do like really kind of like dark psychological horror thriller you know, kind weird of all, like, so, so Barney's think, like a serial killer well I think it's for. like everyone's grown up and, every, and everyone's like what does Barney mean to them now and like they're, they're so jaded in their life something like that I don't know if it's actually going to translate on screen at all we're, but we're also getting a magic eight ball movie um, <laughs> like, that's coming from Jimmy well, Warden who's the screenwriter behind uh, Cocaine Bear it was originally a Blumhouse now, yeah Magic 8 Ball was a, was an actual thing wasn't it, yes, I mean, it apart, was, from, yeah, apart yeah. from the obvious references here that 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 but is that what it means in this movie? We don't know. I think they were they were putting a horror spin on it, but then Blumhouse dropped it or whatever. They moved. They they weren't working on it anymore. Jason Blum said they they they're not developing it anymore. Basically, but we're also getting a live action Pocky Poly, Poly, Poly Pocket Poly. film with uh, Lily Collins playing the aforementioned Polly Pocket. I would imagine uh, Lena Dunham was on hand to write and direct that, and I think the last we heard, the end of last year, she was working on the second draft of the script. But I would imagine a lot will depend on how well Barbie does. But Barbie's going to make. A gazillion oh, no. Barbie dollars. Of course it like, is. Yeah. 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 You'll start oh. to wish Oppenheimer did blow up the world. <laughs> uh, the, um, uh, the Barbie Corvette. Yes. Another so way of screwing money out of people. This is, yeah, this is from AMC Cinemas. They're doing like this insane, well, I kind of, I'm, well, I say insane, I absolutely want it. It's basically like a popcorn bucket that you can get, but it's in the shape of the Barbie Corvette and you get a doll and you obviously get your popcorn. Uh, the 58 euro, it'll cost you. <laughs> <laughs> Cinemas have to make money, you know. The cinema yeah, is on its knees. On, I'm like, take my money. Yeah, take yeah. my money. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, because that's where they make the money anyway. It's not from. Oh yeah, the concessions. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's yeah. exactly where they make the money. Yeah. From. Yeah. They're not Isn't making that the price of a hot dog. That's the something else. Day, now, and Christopher Nolan uh, says he wants to do Bond, or at least he's willing. He wants to do Bond, yeah. He was on Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, obviously promoting Oppenheimer and said, the influences of those movies in my filmography is embarrassingly apparent. It would be an amazing privilege to do someone, but said, like, there's just been, like, a lot of professional constraints and stuff. He's been working on other things and that's why he hasn't done one yet. So, watch this space. Oh, the cockiness. Yeah. Oh, no, they wanted him to do it. Yeah. Do what they? Oh, yeah. Like, Inception is basically a Bond movie. I know, yeah, but I thought a basic requirement for a Bond movie is to have a clue what the hell is going on. (laughs) Uh, That's not his strong suit, uh, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think think if he was to do it, yeah, he'd have to dumb it down a lot. Dumb himself down down a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think he'd enjoy. Like. Yeah, and, and even Bond movies like are feminist critiques of society compared to mm. like his stuff. So he'd probably have to get his head around that too. Yeah. This woman actually does something. There's a woman in charge in Bond movies. <gasps> <gasps> movies and booze. I'm Moncrief. On News Talk.
Uh, right, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, we are in the midst of movies and booze. Uh, someone says it's gas that everyone is just pretending tennis didn't exist. Yeah. The worst uh, film of all time. I remember seeing that in a cinema, right? And it was me, Donald Clark, and I think it was John McGuire for the Sunday Business Post, and Ron McDermott was there as well. And the four of us were just leaning forward at the screen, trying to like, what? What are they saying? What are they saying? The sound mixing in that film was so terrible. Yeah. None of us could understand what they were saying or doing. He fixed that though for Oppenheimer, though. God bless him. I think right, he learned okay. his lesson. But did he, or has he ever said sorry for the sound mix on Tenet or, or kind of explained why it was so terrible or no, pretended I, it was deliberate? I'd, I heard, I, there was an article in Variety and it was like an unnamed source, but apparently they were saying like, apparently Christopher Nolan has really is hard of hearing. Or something oh like God, that. God, that's not that a good sense. thing in a director. Yeah, which kind of sense. would make sense because, like, you look at Interstellar as well, and there's parts of that where you're like, huh, what so are they loud. saying? But then there's other parts where it's so loud. Yeah. And, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, he's talked about it before. He says, like, oh, you sound in a very impressionistic kind of way, which is like, you just. It means on. you're deaf. It means you're deaf. That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. That is really mad altogether. I was a tenant apologist for a while, but I think I was just oh, happy yeah. to be out because it was a COVID. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was bang smack in the middle of COVID. Yeah. Then yeah, then yeah. no, then I realised yeah. I was wrong. It was pretty like it was. I was I was wanted it to be so good. I really really wanted it to be good. Mm. And it was like in the cinema, just like come on, be better, be better. And I wasn't. No. Now Samuel L. Jackson reckons he he should have won an Oscar in 1986. Yeah. So he was in 1996, A Time to Kill. Uh, he says like so. Anyone who's not familiar with that movie, uh, it's a courtroom drama adapted by, from a book by John Grisham, and he plays. A man placed on trial after killing two white men who abducted and raped his 10-year-old daughter. And he said, he's speaking to Variety this week, he said that there was like scenes that they shot that kind of let the daughter know more explicitly that like he was, that those men were never going to exist and they would never hurt her again. Yeah. And he said like it really affected people on set, whatever, and people were really emotional. But whatever happened, it didn't make it into the final court. But he reckons that that final court would have won him a uh, Best Sporting Actor Oscar So. Was he nominated for Best Supporting Actor? Uh, no, he wasn't, no. He should have been, though. I mean, even what I saw in The Time to Kill, he definitely should have been nominated for it. And he yeah. probably should have won, in fairness. I don't know who won that year. I feel like it was, was probably br- his best chance, was it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. And he was brilliant, in it? He was fantastic, innit? Yeah. And, um, it made my uh, sister-in-law want to be a solicitor. That film. Wow. Yeah, she and saw that and she went off and studied human rights law. And, yeah. Is she still a solicitor? Yeah. Okay. Works for um, Tony's Chocolate She's their oh. head of legal, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Dr. Julie McBride. Well, I mean, there you go. What there is you, who needs an Oscar? Who needs an Oscar? Brian's sister is actually affecting people in the real Sister-in-law. Yeah. Sister-in-law. Rather than bitching about stuff he didn't win. Yeah I, ch- yeah, I don't know. Like, just it, take think, the roles otherwise and stop doing weird Marvel stuff then. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Go back and do roles like this, you know? He could sure have he's being offered them. Like, But that's what I mean. Like, he's you must be actively saying no to more prestige like grittier, meatier stuff. Like, well, to do... When did it go downhill? Snakes in a plane? Yeah. Downhill? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> he, kind of, he kind of <laughs> he em- em- embraced the joy of just doing nonsense. Yeah, no, like, I mean, it's got, like, he's 74, like, I mean, it's Is not... He? Yeah, he's 74. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, it's not as if you couldn't turn it around now. Like, I mean, there are plenty of actors that have had, like, a third act where they've, you know, done mm, really... Yeah important you know like Robert Mitchum and stuff like yeah. that so he's well capable of doing it he's probably just doesn't want to do it because it doesn't pay as well like and he's fairly open about the fact that like you know he you know does a lot of work for the da 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 for the money yeah, yeah for the money yeah so like fine if that's what you're going to do 
Grant, but don't sit there and say, oh, you know, I could have won an Oscar for doing X, Y, yeah, Z. Exactly. He could win one now if he wanted it. If he put his mind to it, mm. he could go win one now. Like, look at Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Like, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's capable. He's And he's, after, when Samuel L. Jackson puts his mind to it, he's a brilliant actor. Jackie Brown, he should have absolutely won an Oscar for that. He was the brilliant in that. And he didn't. Mm. So, you know. I mean, if he was going to start arguing about racism or stuff like that, he might have something to say. But I mean, is yeah. he broke that he needs the no. money? He's definitely he's on that Marvel payroll. He's oh. absolutely not broke. He's a new series out with them on Disney Plus at the minute. Like that's Nick Fury yeah, centered, tender, yeah. and he pops up in every single Marvel movie. He's yeah. just at the end being like, "Well, you did again, it's like <laughs> Superman or whatever." Yeah, yeah, Superman's whatever, whatever, franchise, yeah. but you know what I mean. He's just like, "Hello, everyone, I'm back again." Like. And I, all he does in those stuff is he wears an eye patch. Yeah. That's pretty much the extent of the acting yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And because there's a yoke on Disney he's in as yeah, well. Yeah, Secret it's Invasion. Awful. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible, yeah. It's really poor, yeah. And yeah. that's it, but there you go. Like, I mean, he could very easily, like, he, like Robert Downey Jr. talked about this when he was doing the press tour for Oppenheimer. He was like, I hope my acting muscles have an atrophied as I start to do this film. And everyone was like, you're fine, Robert. Don't worry, we're watching this. We're watching you do this. You're terrific. You have nothing to worry about. And you can really see it in Oppenheimer. Like, he still has it. Like, he's still incredible, like, as an actor, Robert Downey Jr. So, like, Samuel L. Jackson could be doing that as well if he wants to. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Django Unchained is excellent. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. There you go. It's also a long time in the past. Yeah. I love Coach Carter. I love a motivational sports story. Yeah. Down on their luck school, just bring them around. Classic. There's (laughs) your weekend watch, Coach Carter. Enjoy that. Good choice. I love Coach Carter. Yeah. Yeah. Motivational sport. I just didn't see you. Do you know what I mean? I love like a plucky. Oh, they're a team and they're bad, and it's the coach comes in and he does another sport, and he's like, "Oh, I hate it here." But then they all cool runnings. Cool, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but you see, that's not real life because in real life they're crushed into nothing because they're not as good as the others. Yeah, that's, but like in the end of Cool Runnings, though, they pick up the thing and like everyone's clapping them as they're bringing the bobsled. And over they're the, the real winners. And they're you? the yeah. real winners. You just spoil Cool yeah. Runnings for anyone. Ah, do they really? Right, uh, let's move on to our red wine, Mick. So we have a red from the northeast of Italy. This is by a producer called Mazzi, and this is an iconic wine called Campo Fiorin. Rarely does a wine do as much as this particular wine to change the face of uh, wine production in an area. So this is this wine is what brought in the Rapasso technique. And Rapasso, if you go into any wine shop, you'll see shelves laden with Rapasso style wines. Rapasso basically means that they repass young fresh wine through dried grapes or through grape skins that have already been used in, in production for other wines. Mazzi are a, a producer that they are famous for making Amarone. So it's a really big, rich, full style of wine. But this repassing technique is they use some of the Amarone skins and then they pass young, lighter style wine through it. So basically you're kind of beefing up a, a lighter style of wine. But everybody in the wine industry in Italy has copycatted this style of, of wine to the point where Mazzi have gone and taken Rapasso off the label. They don't want anything to do with it anymore. So they're, they're, hmm. they're kind of saying, yeah, we, we started this style 60 years ago, but it, it's been kind of, I was going to say beaterdized, but I'm not sure after Brian's little outburst whether I'm allowed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks a lot. But, but, but Rapasso styles have 
quite often now they have a little bit of sugar in them and Mazzi mm. are much more interested in make, making a dry style of wine. This is big, dry, brilliant with kind of Italian food, anything tomato based at all. The grape here is Corvina. And Corvina can make a really kind of light, crunchy, refreshing style wine. So this technique that they've used here really, really makes it much more food friendly and interesting. Yeah. So this is this is like widely available. It's really an, an iconic wine. And it's something that's totally worth trying if you're barbecuing or anything like that. Speaking of barbecuing, uh, that's the name of our next movie. Here's a clip. <laughs> Hello. Hmm? Humans. We're fine. And Ellen, come into my weird house. Hi, I'm Weird Barbie. I am in the splits. I have a funky haircut and I smell like basement. Oh my God, I had a weird Barbie. Yeah, you did. You make them weird by playing too hard. It's cool. Hey Barbie, can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever. You guys ever think about dying? Right. Okay. Uh, well, I was enjoying myself there. Uh, all right, yeah. so it's a, but it's Greta Gerwig, so a lot of time for her. So oh, definitely. There's yeah. a big brain at work here. A hundred percent. And I think that's kind of what Barbie needed, to be honest, because I think if they were to do something that was just surface level, it wouldn't work. And like you look at any of Greta Gerwig's films, like like Lady Bird or Little Women, she can really like just really get between the ribs at the human condition. You know what I mean? Like she can really get under under people's skin. And I think what's so interesting about Barbie is, is that, I mean, it's really fun. It's really entertaining. It's really effervescent. Like, I mean, I had a ball with this. But the last 10 to 15 minutes of this knocked me sideways in a way that I was not prepared for at all. Oh. Yeah. And in fact, I went to see this with my wife and I got up out of seat and I turned around and like her, her cheek was like her face was bright red from crying like. The last 10 minutes got her that hard. And I believe that got you as well, Fanula yeah, Jones. I had an absolute existential crisis after it. I was oh my God. crying. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. No, it's not sad. Was this before it's or after the sad. engagement? This is after yeah. the engagement. <laughs> yeah. Would you believe? Yeah. And this is the Life thing. short, better get married. <laughs> well, like, it's not it. But like, I mean, this is the thing. It's not sad in a way. Like, yeah. it's a kind of a real full-throated, earnest kind of examination of what it means to be a woman femininity and like the idea of like you are part of a sisterhood and that you are a mother and you are a daughter and you are a sister and you are someone's whole reason for being like it's yeah. and like it's all just distilled into this like 10 minute thing like where Raya Perlman who I love clearly I'm wearing a cheers <laughs> t-shirt yes. as you can see but um yeah it's incredible like and again I don't think any other director or writer other than Greta Gerwig could have pull that out of the bag at the last 10 minutes because up until that point I feel it was starting to creak a little bit you know it was getting a little bit kind of a little bit too smart for its own good but it's a, it's a brilliant film it's really really good yeah and and like the, the basic premise is Barbie why does Barbie escape from Barbie world or is she kicked out right so Margot Robbie plays literally stereotypical Barbie yeah. that's her name stereotypical Barbie um, one day she wakes up with thoughts of death and discovers a patch of cellulite on her leg 
Um, again, and there's literally because she's leaving Barbie Land. There's a big sign up, and it says, "Hope you find uh, the person that's playing with you, and you get rid of that bit of patch of cellulite." Yeah, brilliant. Um, she goes to the real world and discovers that America Ferreira, who actually works for Mattel, has been drawn uh, her in the real world and has now been played out by uh, Margot Robbie's character. The two of them have to meet, and initially. She thinks that if she can, conf- if Barbie can confront the person who's playing with her and remind her that, you know, Barbie is empowering and, you know, there was astronaut Barbie and there was uh, Supreme Court Justice Barbie and there was, you know, all these Barbies that mm. had these great jobs and dream houses and all the rest of it, that you, that they are an inspiration to them, that she will then not feel so terrible about her life and all the rest of it. But what she discovers is, is that to be a woman and to be a person is to fail repeatedly and that you have to kind of I suppose learn that life is not easy and that you will be held back and that that there is no perfect feminine ideal that we are all kind of made up of our mistakes and our problems and all the rest of it and like even like even the final joke the final joke of it is real and I don't want to spoil it but it's brilliant like it's so encapsulates the entire film in the one final joke and you know what I'm talking Mm. about it's brilliant. I was like, that is such a smart way to end the film. Like, I'll yeah. tell you about it after this. Yeah. But, um, well, don't. I'm going to see it tomorrow. Are you? So, yeah. oh, you'll, you'll, yeah. Then you'll know what I'm yeah. talking about then. Yeah. yeah. Can you bring a kid? You could. Okay. They won't get it though. They won't get it though. There's nothing like explicit in it because I was no. asked that as well. It's not like explicit, but it's like they will not understand it at all. But like nice colours, yeah. a few songs. My seven-year-old saw the trailer and was like, I totally want that. Yeah, Give I mean, me. You know, like, I mean, it's 12A, so I don't yeah. have to get in the door, but... Um, yeah, you know, put a moustache on it. Sure, why not, yeah. Just trench coat. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, it works every time. But definitely, like, yeah, no, I mean, it is geared towards adults, you know, that's sort of way. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of jokes, like there's depressed Barbie that watches the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice <laughs> and stuff like that. That's you know so I mean? funny. They make a joke about Proust Barbie, like, do you know that kind of way? Like, there's all sorts of really deep cut jokes. They even crack a joke about the fact that the inventor of... Uh, Barbie had a load of trouble with the IRS like there's so many jokes in this that would soar over a kid's head whereas yeah, adults yeah. would really get something out of it uh, so but it is funny that's the most important thing oh yeah it's thing. hilarious yeah it's I was I nearly had a kidney transplant by the end of it like it was that good it was hilarious like right. and I think this is something as well that like we don't necessarily consider of Margot Robbie is that she is a great comedic mind like mm. she's very very funny like Ryan Gosling like you kind of look at his late night kind of appearances and you can see that he is quite funny but he is hilarious in this but Margot Robbie wipes the floor with him as far as I'm concerned and it's a great ensemble cast as well there's like loads of cameos from people you may or not expect and, and Rhea Perlman. God, Rhea Perlman. Uh, yeah, when was she last in a, a movie? That's it. She turns up and it's like, ah, come on. Come on. That's Brilliant, fantastic. Right. Well, I can't wait to see it tomorrow. Uh, uh, Fanula, Brian and Mick, thank you all. Movies and booze. I'm Moncrief. On News Talk.